You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, especially in light of NIDOC Week, which was last week. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I haven't flip-flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this matter, over this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children and your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. Wake up, babe. It's oh Represent my time. God, season three. Welcome back to season three. But first... We have a little promo to play. We were so successful at Radiothon that they've given us another promo. (laughs) Yep, we've got a sponsor from Acme. So listen up to Acme and we'll be back in 34 seconds. (laughs) Want to learn about filmmaking and game building? Come and explore educational workshops, talks and programs at Acme, your museum of screen culture. Bring the learning home with Acme's free, accessible online creative toolkits, such as Filmit, the Filmmaker's Toolkit, and Game Builder. Pursue your passion for screen culture. Find out more about Acme Education at acmi.net.au slash education. Acme, a proud SIN sponsor. Welcome back to Represent. We are here for the... Long time now. Well, it's, for the next hour. Oh yeah, you've got us talking so many different things. Bridie's a little less wise, so she might be a bit. I confused. am a bit less wise. Uh, for context, <laughs> I got my wisdom teeth out in the break, um, so my mouth is feeling really slim right now. <laughs> Freddie saw some pictures as you should have seen the be reels. Everyone They're else, so good. <laughs> yes, I had a bit of a chipmunk face going on, but it's in the past now. <laughs> So it's good. It's really good. Um, Yeah, it's great having no teeth. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been a big news week, Freddie. It's been crazy. Actually, it's been been big news two weeks because we went on last week. It's been amazing. I feel like we sort of like the news was sort of not being very nice to us for the last like couple weeks of season two. It was a bit. It was a bit dreary. But you know, it knew that we had a new season coming up, so it went. They've turned it on. It went massive. We've got. Robo debt. We've got Trump Junior drama. We've got uh, a, a potential civil war in Sudan. So Jesus. true. And also uh, potentially, if we have time, tax returns, which is very exciting. Uh, have you done your tax return? I actually did it last night. Hey, I did mine. I did mine a couple of days ago because my employer nice. finally did it. Um, it's the first year I've actually paid tax. 
Oh, congratulations. Absolute scam. But I, I couldn't never paid believe tax. it. <laughs> I did you, not make that much money. You are lucky. I, I love how it really breaks it down for you on MyGov oh. because it shows you how much they've withheld and how much you're giving back, but they don't tell you how much you're actually paying. Oh, and then I sort of I figured see. it out. I was like, okay, so how much tax have I paid? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so I had some withheld, but then yeah. I'll just get that back. Yeah. At some point. And I, then I'll be like, wow, 80 bucks. <laughs> Tax is the worst. Exactly. But road, having roads is pretty nice. So, R- roads is nice. You know, and, um, we're not going to defame the ATO today. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's nice to have public transport, but we kind of pay for that yeah, twice, we don't to, we? Yeah, but very much so. You know when it's like, when you know when tax is really bad? When is it really bad? <laughs> when you've got debt. Oh, that's so true. That was a great Especially segue. Especially when it's given to you <laughs> by a robot. <laughs> so, anyone want to guess what we're about to talk about? Send it into guesses. our Twitter, uh, at SinRepresent. <laughs> we are going to talk about robo-debt. Fun fact, it was actually Ooh. due to be handed down on the 30th of June, but because the National Anti-Corruption Commission... Commission. National Anti-Corruption Commission yeah. launched on the 1st of July. They postponed it by a week. Wow, okay. S- especially for our Season 3 premiere, Exactly. Obviously. It was really good timing. Exactly. Um, so, the Royal Commission was handed down last Friday. Friday just gone, if you will. It was investigating a compliance program which found that welfare recipients, so people who were on New Start at the time, mm-hmm. owed debts to the Commonwealth on the basis of assumptions... So wow. that included predominantly the most the thing that's been most talked about is that they would use their annual income and then they would use that to estimate that each fortnight you had made the exact same amount. Yeah. Whereas as you and I know, if you cover a few shifts and you make some extra money in a fortnight, then that's not how much you make exactly over the year. If you're a shift worker, it doesn't make sense for you at all. And I feel like more people now than ever are shift workers. Exactly. Even in um, when was this? Even in so it was 2016 between 2015 yeah. and 2020 was when it was finally like cancelled. They, they finally can't hashtag cancel robot. Cancel culture about robot. Yeah. <laughs> so the prime minister has called it a gross betrayal and a human tragedy. That's pretty. That's pretty scathing. Strong I think. language, definitely. That robot ain't coming on anytime soon. <laughs> so true. So obviously, we've got five years of kind of things to establish. Like, how did we get here? Yeah. So what's what's happened so far, Brady? Fill yeah. us in. I well, I'm so glad you asked. We have financial analyst Brady. Here. Yeah. As we know, I'm not the biggest fan of financial um, issues. Well, every week when we discuss the topics we're going to talk about, Brady goes, "Can someone please talk about PwC or something like that?" Because I don't want to seem like too much of a financial. Don't no, sorry, Brady. I'm out of here. Yeah. But, this is like confidential communications. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, what has happened with RoboDebt? What's the RoboDebt saga? So it's it was established in 2015. Um, when Scott Morrison was Social Services Minister, former PM Scott Morrison, my dad. Um, We've had whistleblowers and the media have been saying that it was unfair since 2016. We had an anonymous source in The Guardian, um, and they've been saying that it's unlawful since 2018 when Professor Terry Carney, who was a former member, a former senior member of the Australian Administrative Tribunals, um, sort of stood up and kind of it wasn't really blowing the whistle but yeah calling it out exactly so at the end of 2016 they said that only a fraction are lawful and on 
an anonymous source said to the Guardian that only 20 out of hundreds of debts that were analysed were genuine because of this income averaging. That's scary. So these people have been sent notices saying you owe X amount of debt to Centrelink. And people, I mean, definitely for me, if I got that as a young person who doesn't have much financial literacy from school or from uni, really, I would just be like, okay, I do owe that. Like... Geez, what am I going to do? You trust it like because, it's coming from yeah. officially Centrelink. It's not like it was a scam or anything. Yeah, exactly. You'd you'd trust that sort of thing. And exactly. You, why would they like? To, whatever you, you think of, about Centrelink, why would they come to you and then lie about it? Exactly. So of course people are going to think that they do owe that money, and that would cause a lot of stress to a lot of people. Exactly, which it did. So we've heard the government even admitted when settling a federal court lawsuit that it was unlawful in 2019. So in June 2021, the federal gov- uh, the federal court sorry, ad- approved a $1.8 billion settlement, which included a $112 million payout, uh, plus over $750 million of repaid debts. So like, sorry, excuse me. The <laughs> Scott Morrison promised, um, you know, he always had slogans. Well, he had slogans before he was PM too. Hey. He was going to um, stop the welfare cheats. He was going to, um, like, it was $900,000 that they, oh, sorry, 900,000 people that they were going to get money back from because that's how many he said they'd overpaid. Yeah. Like, it was a huge sort of program and there was so much negative imaging and negative language used for people who were relying on um, Centrelink or, you know, New Start, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, at the time, it was just really really quite terrible yeah that's it's almost like shaming them yeah very much so which is not what we should be we should not be doing that to welfare recipients that's exactly. just unfair because you don't know why they have that yeah why why are they receiving something like there's a variety of different reasons why someone would exactly so in the judgment from 2021 justice bernard murphy criticized the federal government's massive failure noting that the court had heard heart-wrenching, that's a quote, stories of pain and Mm. anguish from victims of the Centrelink debt recovery program. Uh, The judge said it should have been obvious to government ministers and senior public servants that the debt-raising method central to the scheme was flawed, and he said that the evidence showed it was unlawful. So, essentially, from 2015 to November 2019, when it was put on pause, um, RoboDebt saw the government unlawfully raise $1.76 billion in debts against 443,000 people. So one mother in that case actually linked her son's suicide to RoboDebt. Jesus. Yeah. So, like, it's had devastating consequences. It's had very real-world consequences for people who might not have even been on the receiving end of these debts. Exactly. For their family members and their friends and all that, which is disgusting, really. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, We've had the Royal Commission now. Um, It was an election promise from Labor and it was established in August last year, which actually, when you think about it, it's quite a quick turnaround because I feel like the um, Aged Care Royal Commission went for much longer, but that might just be me not really knowing. Yeah. That's not relevant. I feel like it did. It was a pretty massive Royal Commission. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, we heard from heaps of former ministers. We had Scott Morrison, who oversaw RoboDebt's establishment. Mm -hmm. We had Stuart Robert, who testified that he sort of had personal um, grievances with the scheme, but um, he had to basically say, stay in line with the cabinet 
sort of toe the party line yeah, publicly, yeah. which is why he defended it publicly. That's what he said. But that was contradicted by senior public servants who said that he did not do that. Okay. Uh, that he didn't have personal misgivings. We heard from Alan Tudge, who was in control in, of social services in 2017 when it was under the most scrutiny. And we heard from Christian Porter as well, who was social services minister during mm-hmm. the time that it was... Um, in action, and we heard from senior public servants, including past heads of DHS, Renee Leon, I think that's how you say it, I actually don't know, um, and Catherine Campbell, who has been under a heap of scrutiny, as we hear imminently. Wow. So there's basically three volumes, like it's a huge report, um, and a fourth volume is sealed, and that's the referrals. So the power that a Royal Commission has is that it can say it can refer people to different services, which is why it was pushed back a week so that it could be referred to NAC, I think is what they're calling it. NAC? The Anti-Corruption Commission. What a sick name. I know. <laughs> um, so You're we, going because to it, NAC. Exactly. We don't know. Because it's sealed, no one actually knows um, who's been referred and mm. no one has said, oh, I was referred. Why, but, why would you say that? Why well, would you exactly. go like... I'm, I did. Like, it was me. <laughs> guys, it's me. I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah. So we don't know where people were referred to. We yeah. don't know um, for what, like, we can assume that there was a lot of public servants that might have been, or some public servants. There'd have to be a lot of people referred because it was such a giant scheme that went exactly. on for so long. Exactly. It's going to be enormous. Yeah. So it'll be... I hope it is unsealed at some point. I'm sure it will be. Yeah, well, the Greens have already started calling for well, it to be released within a year and hopefully sooner. Um, but Bill Shorten has also said that he hopes it can be released sooner. Like, he doesn't kind of... He said he didn't quite see the value in keeping it sealed forever. Exactly. But Holmes recommended... Sorry, Catherine Holmes is the Royal Commissioner. She recommended that the additional chapter remain sealed and not be tabled with the rest of the report so as not to prejudice the conduct of any future civil action or criminal prosecution. So, I, I guess that sort of makes sense. Yeah, in it does a way. make sense. Yeah, but you would just hope that once all the sort of it does need to come out action, at some point. Exactly. Once yeah. the legal action's finished, it can't be sealed forever. Exactly. So, let's talk about who was criticised. Who was criticised, Brady? Number one, Scott Morrison, former PM, probably the most high profile out of all the people who were are named in the report. Because so, he was kind of there for the whole sort of run of RoboDebt. Exactly. So, so he was sense. social services minister. He was in charge of it when it was established. And then by the time he was prime minister, he was treasurer for a while while it was in action. And he was prime minister and he, at the end of that, shut it down as well. Yeah. So he was there for every step of the way. Exactly. So Catherine Holmes said... Mr. Morrison allowed Cabinet to be misled because he did not make that obvious inquiry. He took the proposal to Cabinet without necessary information as to what it actually entailed. Um, he said that She said that he knew the proposals still involved income averaging and he failed to meet his ministerial responsibility to ensure that Cabinet was properly informed about what the proposal actually entailed and to ensure that it was lawful. Wow. So it's been... Um, established with the commission that a lot of people who were talking about it and who were involved in it, they knew that it would need legislative change in order to be legal. But yeah. no one did it. Yeah, so, okay. Obviously, Scott Morrison has rejected this firmly in a media statement. He's been under a lot of pressure to resign from the media lately in the last few days, mm. but hasn't really been seen anywhere. I believe he's actually on holiday out of the country. Wow, where is he this time, I, know. I wonder? 
How um, convenient. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we've heard him say that, you know, that's not that's not true, yeah. etc. You know, your traditional de- denials. Um, no surprises there. Exactly. Stuart Robert, so Social Services Minister, the weight of the evidence is strongly against Mr Roberts having given any instruction to the Secretary of Human Services, Miss Leon, on 7 or 8 November 2019 to cease income averaging. Um... It is reasonable to susp- sorry to suppose that Mr. Robert still hoped to salvage the robo debt scheme in some respects. So that's pretty damning as well. I would love to know what they were hoping to salvage from the robo debt scheme. Yeah, I mean, really, 2019. By that point, it had been like there for years. Yeah, nah, that wasn't happening. Yeah. So, however, um, the commissioner did find that him having to defend it in public was reasonable in line that with the expectation that a cabinet minister is towing the They've party line. They've got to support the, what the party's doing, exactly. exactly. So it's not a surprise there. Yeah, so yeah. she said that it was reasonable to kind of understand that he had to do that, whereas he could have had personal misgivings, personal issues, disagreements, however yeah. you want to call it. So... Catherine Campbell was the head of the DHS for um, much of the time that RoboDebt was in action. It was a damning report on her. Miss Campbell had been responsible for a department that had established, implemented and maintained an unlawful program. When exposed to information that brought to light the illegality of income averaging, she did nothing of substance. When presented with opportunities to obtain advice on the lawfulness of that practice, she failed to act. Oh, God. So that's the harshest one and that's, the most unequivocal. <laughs> there's No one has come out of this with any positive comments, no. really, which, of course, they're not <laughs> going to. Like, that's not a surprise, but it's every everything is just so scathing. Yeah, Which it isn't really a surprise is. when you're you consider with... the consequences that it had. Oh, exactly. Yeah, so it's really... Um, just kind of gone very badly for them. Fair and enough. And Catherine yeah. Campbell is earning nine hundred thousand dollars a year in a position at the Department of Defence at the moment. So Jesus, um, okay, people yeah. are calling on her to resign. Unsurprisingly, but yeah. As far as I've seen, she has not said anything yet. Um, we had Alan Tudge being said that he behaved reprehensibly, and Holmes accused the architects of robo debt, so the ministers and the public servants that established it, of an oblivious to or worse, a callous disregard of the fact that many welfare recipients had neither the means nor the ability to negotiate an online system to provide evidence of their income dating back five years. Now, I forgot to mention, they were when they established it, it was going to be for um, five years prior to 2015. That like, So it was going to go back as well? Yeah, it was and- back to the, I think, the 2010-2011 financial year where... So it was if gonna, they'd yeah. been quote unquote overpaid in debt, uh, in like new start allowances, like yeah. it could go back that far that they would try and make them repay the debt. They were going to go back and sort of retroactively try yeah. and claw it back. Exactly. Which at that point cut your losses and run. <laughs> that's that's your fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've um, they also Christian Porter did do an inquiry, but I haven't really found what they said about it. Mm. Uh, what okay. Holmes said about him, which is interesting. Um, but anyway, th- there were lots and lots of recommendations of debt collection methods and reforms, etc. you know, yeah. to service... So the Department of Human Services is now Services Australia. 
sort of rebranded, but um, there are lots of recommendations about that. Yeah. And we don't know who's been referred. So basically what um, Alan Tudge and Stuart Robert have given statements saying that they haven't been given notice that they've been referred and they understand in their statements, they say they understand that all the notices of referral have gone out. Okay, yeah. If that makes sense. So they, like, it's not certain that they won't get one that's, like, stuck in the mail, but, like, at that point when they sent out those statements, they hadn't been referred. They will know very soon if they don't already. exactly. So Scott Morrison refused to say, um, and I haven't heard from Catherine Campbell. Yes, yeah, she, she hasn't rung me up and said, hey, Friday. that's in representative. If <laughs> yeah. you want to let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're listening, we'd love to know. We'd, we'd love, love to get to the know. scoop. Exactly. Were you affected by RoboDebt at SinRepresent on yeah, Twitter? Yeah, tell us your stories. Hit, hit us up. We want to know. Slide into the DMs. Um, <laughs> so we've seen in the report also that... So we had that big lawsuit, the huge payout, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Catherine Holmes said that it's possible that the tort, so a minor civil wrong in the law, um, has been present. Uh, The tort of misfeasance has been present, which is basically where a government um, official or agency in this case um, has been, like, wrongfully exercised their... They've wrongfully exercised their power. They've they've overreached a bit in terms of what they can do. And it involves kind of proving um, negative intent. Like, it's quite a hard thing to prove, is what um, Holmes said and what I read in the article. Yeah. So that's Gordon Legal gave a statement today, which is the law firm that did the initial lawsuit. Mm. And so they basically said, watch this space. Like, we might come back and sue again. Okay. Okay. yeah, Exciting. which would be interesting. That would be an interesting lawsuit to see because you wouldn't really know which way it was going to go. Because, yeah. I mean, a lot of those things in civil law have, like, a few elements and there's always one that's, like, really hard to prove. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, usually intent. Is... The legal studies is coming out. It yeah. is. It really is. <laughs> I love a good civil suit. I need to find my, find my notes. Find the notes. Find the notes. <laughs> anyway, how do you feel after this? I... There's... It, it, Huge! It's it's just such it's so a massive big. thing. It's like, been going do you on. trust Centrelink now? In sort of in light of that, I well, I guess because it's been so publicly blasted. Basically, I like to think that I can, and luckily, right. I'm not someone who has to rely on payments from Centrelink. Mm. But of course, like since this has happened, there's a lot of there's always going to be that worry that this is going to happen again because yeah. if so many warnings came out about this system prior to its implementation and during its sort of term of use if so many warnings came out about it and it still went ahead and still went ahead for what was it four or five years what's to stop it from doing again hindsight hopefully would stop it yeah but it's like it's hard of course when this happens and especially if you're affected by robo debt it's going to be really hard to place your trust in the system again definitely yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we've got the sealed chapter. Obviously, that could be released. Maybe not. Maybe release yes. it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, should we be changing whistleblower processes? Like, hmm. do you think there was a way that this could have kind of panned out? We were talking about it in 2016, only a year after it was established, and yeah. it wasn't shut down till 2020. What, like, how do you how do we kind fix of that? bring that? You, I. 
make it shorter? I, I, I really, that's a really great question. Because, like, they went yeah. to the media, so obviously that didn't really do anything. It, it wasn't even, it wasn't even an open secret. Yeah. It was just there and everyone knew about ignored. it, really. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think changing any whistleblower, poli- like, processes would have really fixed this. Right, okay. Or brought it to, like, a close any sooner. Do you think it would have just been sort of, like, negligence isn't the right word, but sort of apathy from this, like, if there was less apathy from the senior members of... Perhaps. Um, ...public servants? Because, so interestingly, there was um, an article in The Guardian from a few years ago now about someone who, I can't remember her name, but she worked at Centrelink at the time and actually sent an email to Catherine Campbell. Okay. Um, she was, like, just a sort of run-of-the-mill worker, not, like, a senior executive or anything. Like, she was one of 17,000 people in her, le- yeah, at her level. Yeah, And sent an email being, like, this is unlawful, it's unkind, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was really, like, people called her out internally. People That's called amazing. it out externally. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of... What? Where do you go from there? It's like it, it was all sort of put out into the open a little bit. Yeah. And then nothing happened. Exactly. I think that's sort of maybe a failure of far beyond whistleblower processes. Yeah. That's just an institutional failure at that point. Very it's much completely so. ignoring everything. Yeah, it is. And just like covering your ears, closing your eyes, and going la 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 la. Nothing's yeah, wrong. That's what it was. Let sort the of robot like. ruin more lives. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no. Um. There's obviously needs to be like a much bigger change. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, they can look back at this and go, "What can we? Where learn? did we go wrong? Well, what did you? Because you've obviously done a heap of the research on yeah. this. You're probably overloaded with robo debt facts. <laughs> what do you think of? What do you think the media coverage has been like on all this? Good, bad. There have been you, some very yeah. good explainer articles. Yeah. Because that was the first thing I looked at. <laughs> like, what actually is robo debt? Because you know, everyone says, "Oh, robo debt this, robo debt that," but there's Often with things like this that are quite technical, there's a lack of, like, base-level explanation of what's going on. But yeah. this one has been good because there's a lot of that, which I've found... It's everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. But I just don't... I just don't quite understand why it was so talked about for so long and yet no one did anything. Exactly. And because it wasn't particular it wasn't like sloppy media coverage. It was nothing like that. Like I don't know. It just doesn't really make sense. With everything else that's happened, it feels like it got a response. So many other things got yeah. a response. And I guess there is a bit of the kind of it see I read someone was saying I can't remember who it was now, but they were saying that Australia is a nation that loves to hate the doll bludgers, which yeah. has probably played a part into that, why no one kind of cared as much. No, no one, like, really paid much attention to it, yeah. Well, not even well, just yeah. why there was, maybe, why there wasn't so much public outrage as there should have been. Yeah. But, yeah, it's hard to say, really. It's a, it's, but it's, in it's light of the Royal Commission, <laughs> yeah. there has been good coverage, I That's think. That's good. And yeah. actually, 7.30 had a good report on it. That I watched. Hey, yeah. Look at Bridie doing her I research. Know. I know. <laughs> Bridie's all over it. You yeah. Sure, you don't want to do journalism? You'd be great. Well, at it. actually, this is the sort of thing where it has like such an impact on people that it does make me think, oh, maybe I made the wrong career choice. But it's too or, late. 
Anyway, it's never too um, late, Friday. If this story has raised, <laughs> the story has raised any issues for you, um, you know there are the helplines Beyond Blue on one three hundred twenty two four six three six or Lifeline on one three eleven or thirteen eleven fourteen. I don't know why I started saying the numbers. Yeah, there. <laughs> um, yeah. Robo debt is a hard topic. Yeah, it's um, especially huge. talking about the consequences. So yeah, it's well, okay to ignore it as well. As I said, Bridie did most of the research, all of the research really on this, and she absolutely smashed it. Oh, so thanks, go, Bridie. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go to a song. Let's unwind. This is "I Know I'm Funny, Haha" by <laughs> Faye Webster. Oh my god, it's me for real. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're listening to Represent. We will be back so soon, you won't even know we were gone. Welcome back to Represent. You could, you barely noticed we were gone. It was so quick. We were like... We were so efficient. We were in, we were out, now we're back in. It was just like when I went under for my wisdom <laughs> teeth surgery. Bridie blinked, she was there. Bridie blinked, she was there, but it was hours later yeah. after the surgery. It was crazy. Well, it was about half was... an hour or 45 minutes maybe, but exactly. anyway. <laughs> well, you know, you know who was in and who was out recently. Well... Well, was, he was, was I guess he, he never in? really got in. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess if you're a Donald Trump Jr. fan, you were in for his speaking tour. True. Okay. And now you're out. Well, <laughs> well, I guess you were never in in the first place. But anyway. This is going really well. This is so good. Um, because anyway, Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill has called Donald Trump Jr. a big baby. Oh my I god. I know. Can you believe Mic that? Mic drop. Mic drop. Wait, let me pick up the mic on the drop it. So it's going to need to pay for a new mic. Oh, but, well. um, so why did she call him a big baby? I hear you ask. That is such a great question. Why did she call him a big I, baby? I know. It's such why a great question. Why is she bringing question. out the big guns like that? That's a great question, Bridie. I'm so glad you asked it. So let's take it back a little bit. Let's get the context and we'll figure let's do out the what's up to this. Exactly. Rewind. So anyway, uh, Trump Jr., Donald Trump Jr., the former U.S. president and star of Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, uh, was, set to take a, uh, was set to take on a three-day speaking tour across Australia, which was supposed to kick off in Sydney this past Sunday. So the Sunday that just happened. Right. But so two days ago. Exactly. Two Got days it. ago. This was met with a lot of opposition. Because, of course, Donald Trump Jr., not a whole lot of people are a fan of the Trump family. Now, that comes as a big shock to me, Freddie. Why is that? <laughs> I'm really glad you asked, Bridie. So, that's, that, that, we service. don't need a special episode for that, yeah. I think. We need a whole one-hour special on that. But, of course, former U.S. President Donald Trump, uh, even before his presidency, he was a controversial figure. There's just not a whole lot of good stigma around this family, right? Yeah, so, not so much sympathy for them. No, you exactly. Could say. So he was set to take on this three-day speaking tour across Australia, but last Wednesday, his tour was unexpectedly cancelled. Whoa. His, cancel his, culture strikes ha- again. Hashtag cancel culture. Um, when his tour was unexpectedly cancelled with his tour operator suggesting that there were issues with his visa. Okay, interesting. As in the pass to get into the country, not the debit card brand, just yes. to be clear. So there was a change.org petition to the title was Stop Donald Trump Jr. from Getting an Australian Visa. Okay. Very simply put, uh, it garnered 22,812 signatures, which for a country of 25 million, that's like 
it's nothing really. Yeah, it's not a huge amount. But and I think I'm really yet to see a change.org petition that has been successful in anything really. Oh no, there was that one that was tabled in Parliament. Which one was that? Great question. I talked about it in 2021 in my legal studies hey. revision, but I'm struggling to. It was it was to do with climate change, I think. Okay, right. But I'll look it up. I'll get back but to you. Was that a change.org petition, or was that like one through the like Australian government platform? Because there oh. is a platform uh, that the Australian government Good has for, like official petitions. I think it might have been that. It might be that because I don't know. I've never really seen a change.org petition work. Um, yeah. A lot of the victories are merely just sort of like a coincidence. <clears throat> it was the biggest parliamentary. Yeah. You're oh, okay. Right. Yeah, it was yeah. to declare a climate emergency, and there were three hundred thousand. Yeah, three hundred thirty thousand signatures. Oh damn! That's oh, actually, sorry. It closed um, in October twenty nineteen with a record breaking four hundred and four thousand signatures. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Well, there anyway, we go. Sorry, not but relevant. The description of this petition, very simply put, quote: Donald Trump Jr. This is this is. Quoting the change.org petition, I should very explicitly say from the person who formed this petition, we're not saying this, this is, is not our stance. This represents opinion. Donald Trump Jr. is an illegal, drug-taking, bigoted person who should not be allowed to enter Australia for the purpose of earning himself and possibly his father any campaign contributions. Ban him from the country. Again, not represents belief. <laughs> Again, that was written by the person who formed the change.org petition. Yeah, um, so 200, uh, sorry, 22,000 22, signatures. It's not insignificant. It's not insignificant. Yeah. But also, would this have actually had enough sort of sway to cancel his Definitely visa? Not. Well, it turns out it didn't. But that's for a little later. The tour was cancelled last Wednesday when they suggested that there were issues with his visa. This was being run by Turning Point Australia, which from what I can gather is a generally right-wing Facebook group. I'm okay. sure they're more than just a Facebook group, but that's sort of the main thing that I saw from them. Okay, interesting. They When they cancelled it, they posted on Facebook, quote, It seems America isn't the only country that makes it difficult for the Trumps. Hold on to your tickets. There is This is a short delay, nothing more. Hashtag cancel culture. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> which is, which is, yep, that's a way to say it. And yep. then there was a separate statement issued to the media where visa issues were directly blamed. Okay. Um, the what was it called? Turning Point Australia told the Guardian the visa, which has now been issued, was only received late afternoon on Wednesday, the fifth of July, only twenty-four hours before Donald Trump Jr. was set to board a flight to Sydney. So, from what I can gather, is that his visa wasn't received before they cancelled the tour. Right. And then once they did cancel the tour, then... it had been received. But the interesting thing here is um, The Guardian says that Donald Trump Jr. applied for an Australian visa two weeks before that tour was cancelled, so that Wednesday. Yeah. The usual turnaround for an Australian visa is two weeks. Okay, so it's basically just a lack of preparation. Exactly. They should have just got the visa earlier. That's interesting because, I mean, this is kind of a different situation, but, like, yeah. visa troubles... And passport troubles have been happening a lot since COVID. Oh, absolutely. Like, I follow a girl on Instagram who lives in America but had to go back to the UK to re or to spend, like, however much time you have to spend out of America to renew your visa. Wow. And she thought it would only take her two weeks, so she booked for two weeks. Okay. But had to stay with her family for longer because it took five weeks instead. That's incredible. Like, yeah. it happens... To a lot I, of people. It does happen to a lot of people, but even here, the turnaround is two weeks. They waited 
exactly two weeks. Yeah. And then just decided all hope was lost and cut it. <laughs> I mean, I assume they the, tried to contact the... I mean, the implication yeah. that Australia is choosing to make it difficult for the Trumps is a bit rich. It's a wild accusation, It's just I like... Think. You've got tabs on yourself. It's like, I don't think that's how visas work. They don't go, we don't like this person. Exactly. And then kick you out. Exactly. But yeah, so they sort of were a bit premature with cancelling the tour. Right. Um, So yeah, from what I can assume, they didn't receive it before they cancelled it, then they cancelled it, and once they had cancelled it, they received it later that day, within the usual two-week turnaround. Apply for your visa earlier. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? That's the lesson. That's just a bit silly. So... Now we come to the drama. The drama. The immigration department wouldn't comment officially on this matter. As but, is, like, which is, general practice. Well, exactly. Like, yeah. you don't want special treatment from the immigration department. So, of course, they're not going to comment. They don't issue a media statement every time someone is kicked out of the country. No. But, um, not that he was kicked out of the country. But that didn't stop Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill from hopping on Twitter about this. That's so funny. Uh, the tweets have now been deleted. It was two oh, tweets. But on. don't worry, The Guardian hooked us up once oh, again and they phew. saved them. Here we go. Her first tweet. Quote from Claire O'Neill. Geez, Donald Trump Jr. is a bit of a sore loser. His dad lost an election fair and square, but he says it was stolen. Now he's trying to blame the Australian government for his poor ticket sales and cancelled tour. Yes, so that's what I heard, is that yeah. um, the rumour was that the ticket sales weren't the, good enough. So the ticket sales weren't good tour. enough. I don't know how she'd have access to that information. No. It's a bit... I, I think that's also a little bit rich to say that as a fact. Yeah. Like, especially from the Home Affairs Minister. Yeah. Um, but then her second tweet, uh, Donald Trump Jr. has been given a visa to come to Australia. He didn't get cancelled. He's just a big baby who isn't very popular. <laughs> Don't hold back. Yikes. Girl. All right, Claire. Jeez, absolutely going for the jugular. Yeah. yeah. But um, honestly, like... <laughs> Don't as, hold back. As a, the, the, these tweets were a bit wild. They were a They're bit... They're a bit of loose, loose units. I guess they probably heavier. weren't warranted. Yeah, but, hence um, why they've been deleted. They're also hilarious. Yeah, they're so, really funny. <laughs> thank you for the content, Claire. We appreciate it. As but, content producers at um, Represent, we just love... We love the we content. We love content. <laughs> we love producing content in this lovely collaborative setting. Yeah. Turning Point Australia said that 8,000 tickets were sold across the three states, with all VIP tickets priced as high as $2,500. Far out. Selling out in the first week of the tour announcement. That's pricey. Who is paying $2,500? I $2, thought Taylor Swift's <laughs> ones at 1200 bucks were bad. Did you get Taylor Swift tickets, Bridie? I no. did not. I wanted to... I tried. Well, actually, the pre-sale was when I was admitted to hospital for my surgery. Well, and then the Friday I tried and I didn't get any. Oh, that's rough. I know. Did you get any, t- Freddie? Uh, well, I didn't try. Oh, um, that's a shame. I didn't try. My sister tried. She didn't get any. And I know Naya tried. She didn't get any either. So represent yeah. is zero for three, I yeah, guess. it's pretty disappointing, really. In their attempts. Um, and then they also did respond directly... Turning Point Australia, they yeah, did respond sorry, directly to the Swift tweets. <laughs> they responded directly to Claire O'Neill's tweets. And, well, not really. Look, they said, Turning Point Australia is not going to dignify the minister's tweets with a comment. Suffice to say she is entitled to her opinion and freedom of speech, no matter how idiotic. That's really funny. There's a little um, more of words here. Really funny. 
I feel like I've never heard of Turning Point Australia as a promoter or a tourer. I, there's and certainly I no Live Nation. This <laughs> statement really... Um, it, it tells me why. Well, to be yeah. Honest. I well, yeah. I guess it's like they seem to be a very specialized sort of right wing group. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess Represent, like um, it's not super the target market for that. I'm yeah. We definitely many not. Sub- We've got a lot of subscriptions on the email, yeah. but Turning Point Australia is not one of them. Maybe yeah. it should be though. Well, hey, Turning Point Australia. If you want to come on the show, if you want to get Donald Trump Jr. to come on our show. Oh my god! Now that's a hit good us idea. up. Hit us up. Like we'll we'll have At him. Sin represent. At Sin represent. We'll have him. We will. We're we're here for all voices. So this has been a bit of a, a bit of a crazy sort of um thing. It's a bit. It was a bit of light political news yeah, in the yeah. middle of a lot going on. Brady, what do you think? Is Donald Trump Jr. is this like as big of an issue as both sides seem to make it out to be? Oh, definitely not. Definitely like, not. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is for him. I don't recall any of the Trumps ever saying anything about really wanting to come to Australia, but, they, you they, know... Well, Donald Trump Jr. wants to come to Australia and is charging $2,500 for a speaking tour ticket, apparently. Yeah. Um, in the cost of living crisis? In the That's t- an interesting <laughs> one. I'm trying to find out what the VIP tickets actually give you. Oh, that's an interesting to I want to suss them out. Um, but, oh, here we go. So you get... Oh, okay, I found them. For $2,500, you get a private dinner with Donald Trump Jr., which is limited to 25 guests. Oh, okay. A champagne reception with VIP seating. Okay. You also get, um, they list VIP seating here twice, uh, an after-show backstage party and champagne with Donald Trump Jr. Whoa, that sounds like a riot. And if that wasn't enough, Brady, okay. if that wasn't enough for you to spend $2,500, you get a one-on-one meeting with the man wow. himself, including a photograph. Okay. And did I mention that you get VIP seating? You... They mentioned this three times. Okay, I have a lot of respect <laughs> for that. They're really trying to push the point. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's fun. So it's been a lot of fun. It's a yeah. crazy stuff. It's a little break from it's the... It's a little break. ...the terrible... From the state of politics today. Exactly. Speaking of, shall we go to a slightly more serious story? Yeah, we're going to get a bit. We have we do have a lot of fun on this show. Yeah. But this is a very very serious issue where we are about to talk about. Yes. So. Should we mention the helplines again? Yes, I am exactly about to do that. So, good, good. as a trigger warning, we're going to talk about sexual violence in this story. So, the National Sexual Assault Family and Domestic Violence Counselling Line. It's not the. It's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. Um, eighteen hundred respect. So eighteen hundred seven three seven seven three two. The phone number is not a mouthful. It's very easy no, to remember. Exactly. There we go. Hence why probably why they've got such a long name. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what our story's on. We're going to talk about Sudan. Now, I honestly hadn't heard a whole lot about this before you tabled it at our weekly production meetings. So. Pride for lesson. Yeah, so that's fair enough. It hasn't been covered very much in the media. Yeah. But I remembered, I saw a headline, and then I remembered that I was writing about Sudan in global politics in 2021. Yeah. And I was like, geez, is this still going on? But I couldn't really remember what I was writing about. So I had a read, and I was like, oh, I want to talk about this. So basically, what's happened in the last few days is the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guerres, has warned Sudan is on the brink of full-scale civil war. Jeez, all right. So we've been exper- we've seen three months of fighting between rival generals, um, so since about April. Um, there's been officially 3,000 killed and 6,000 wounded, but that probably a lot higher 
realistically. Yeah. Um, sexual violence, looting, widespread hunger, and possible crimes against humanity in the Darfur region, which is um, something that came up. So there was essentially a rebellion in Darfur in the early 2000s, mm. and this paramilitary was established called the RSF. Um, by Omar al-Bashir, who was president of Sudan at the time. Okay. Now, he was arrested in 2019 by the ICC. Um, I believe he was arrested. Anyway, That's that was what I was writing about. Court, right? Correct? Yeah. That was what I was writing about with Global. I was writing about, with him, about him. Okay. Because, yeah, essentially it's just... He was, he was a dictator in Africa... Did some bad things. Dictators he was, don't end up well. Yeah. yeah. He was arrested for crimes against humanity because of oh. what happened in the Darfur region in the early 2000s, mm. which was that the RSF was founded to combat a rebellion there, um, which essentially led to a genocide, okay. um, which is not great. Yeah. So during the years of al-Bashir's um, leadership. He set up a lot of large security forces um, ag basically against one another, um, which reminds you a little bit of what just happened in Russia with the sort with of... With the attempted coup. Exactly, the paramilitaries, all kind of yeah. different factions almost, but they're just kind of separate people. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so the RSF, I believe, is the... I'm not sure whether it was the biggest, but it's the predominant challenger to the military in Sudan now. So, um, in recent days, we've seen an airstrike on civilian areas with 22 killed. Um, the responsibility is unclear, though. So, the RSF has accused the military, the military has denied the accusation, and there's kind of nothing more than that that's been established so far. Yeah. There's been fierce fighting in Khartoum, the capital, for months, and um, the UN Secretary-General remains deeply concerned, this is a quote, <laughs> that the ongoing war between the armed forces has pushed Sudan to the brink of a full-scale civil war, potentially destabilising the entire region, and there's an utter disregard for humanitarian law and human rights. Wow, okay. So, strong words, yeah. you know, from the UNSG, you'd probably expect it. It paints a very strong picture about what's happening over very there. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, so in the Darfur region, we've got many Western countries, including, like, the UK, which is obviously one of Australia's biggest allies, blaming the RSF for widespread human rights violations. Um, the African blocs, which, such as the IGAD, which I had never heard of, but it's mm. essentially a block of East African states. Okay. Um, they've said that there's an ethnic dimension to conflict in this region as well. Um, okay. Which is... So it's all kind of very complicated. There's a long history of complex um, interactions between different groups in Sudan. There's a lot of factors at play spanning exactly. years and years and years and years back. Exactly. So it's like it's not a very it's not a simple issue that they're going to solve very easily. Correct. So we've had almost three million people displaced from Sudan because of this fighting. Okay. Um, so people have been essentially just kind of flooding across state borders mm. into Ethiopia, Chad, South Sudan, um, etc. Because Sudan is in quite an important spot in the Horn of Africa, the Sahel, the Red Sea border, like it's very significant, it risks regional stability as well, having this conflict. Um, all of those countries that I just mentioned have experienced a lot of refugee crossings, in addition to their 
pre-existing internal issues that some of them do have, political issues or conflicts. As well as that, Sudan has a lot of natural resources like gold. So the leader of the RSF is really rich because of that. Mm. And but also that means that there are major geopolitical players involved. Russia, U- the UAE, Saudi Arabia and the US are all battling for influence and other states as well. So it's wow, okay. really complex. It's well beyond just Africa and Sudan. Very it's, much it's so. A, it's becoming a global issue almost. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Um, and so what happened when al-Bashir was ousted is the RSF, would co- they cooperated with the military in 2019 but then they disrupted a peaceful sit-in with murders and rapes. So started really well, ended really badly. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, there was a transition to democracy that was put in place with the help of the international community, but that was disrupted in October 21, uh, sorry, October 2021, when the coup put the army back in place, back in charge, whereas the RSF leader, who's known as Hemedti, he kind of swung around in support of a different plan. Okay, so they sort of had everything in place, and then, then that didn't happen. It was disrupted. Yeah. That was changed. Okay. Exactly. Wow. So All right. You can see, like, this is not a simple solution this, this or anything. This is far from simple. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, the entanglement of all these major countries in the sort of fight for resources, it keeps on preventing us from taking real action in conflict, in conflicts, like in Ukraine or in Sudan. How can we, like, change this, you know? In an ideal world where Freddie is, like, the world's president, what would you do? Wow. (laughs) Wow. This is giving the same sort of... Um, vibe is my year nine geography mm. exam telling g- giving us solve world hunger yeah for six marks classic and you had less than half a page i don't know honestly i this is such a gigantic issue mm. um and maybe your global politics brain will be able to weigh in a bit a bit better than mine but it's such a gigantic issue with so many different players yeah and so many different stakes and so many different reasons for everything happening that it's like how how do you how do you fix this yeah it's really hard to tell because everyone's got their own interests exactly that are like and i think that's one of the biggest issues is that every country is so wrapped up in their own interests yeah they only that's all they care about and that's all they think about Whereas, in reality, what needs to happen is we need to be thinking about kind of the common good and being maybe a little bit less focused on getting access to this gold mine and a little more focused on there are three million people who have had to flee their homes because of this conflict. Which is far from fair for them. Exactly. That's like, that that sucks. That's horrible. Yeah. Um... So yeah, every I guess we all just they all all of the players just sort of need to be a bit more collaborative, I guess, and yeah. solve the Have issues some perspective, themselves. Yeah, Joe Biden. <laughs> exactly. So it's a really complex issue, but it's like, will those sort of powers in this come to their senses almost and work well, together? That isn't looking a whole lot likely no. right now. No. Well, there was yeah. a meeting with um, some like surrounding countries. I think it was scheduled for. Monday, but I don't know how. Yeah. I'm not sure what the African time difference is. Okay. So there's been no news from that so far that I've seen. But, like, realistically, even an African block of countries 
needs support from the West because the military of, like, say, the US is just so much bigger. And, yeah, it's just kind of not going to happen without global support. Absolutely. And, yeah, it's interesting to see that, like, Ukraine, of course, gets a lot of support because, you know, that's a terrible thing that's happening there. But no one's really talking about Sudan either. Exactly. Whereas it's kind of... I guess Sudan is a civil war. It's internal, whereas um, Russia and Ukraine is cross cross borders. I guess exactly. Yeah. But, but like, this then, is threatening to destabilize an entire region of East Africa. Like, yeah, that's that's it, big. It's still got that sort of global influence there Definitely. as well. And like I said before, I hadn't heard about this before. Yeah, you, so you the media coverage yeah. has been very limited. It's, it's obviously been very horrible because yeah. I didn't know this, and like I, 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 I'm not as in touch with global politics news as I really should be. Yeah, well, but you know, there's the a whole fa- world out there. Exactly. Well, like as Brady has just sort of painted, it's a massive issue that's going to destabilize a whole region, and I'm willing to bet that most of our listeners and me included have never heard of this before, which is insane considering all of the stats you read out, 3 million displaced, um, 6,000 wounded, 3,000 killed in three months of fighting and all that. Yeah. It's it's insane that I haven't heard about this, and I think the media would be good to pick up on this a bit more. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. Well, shall we, shall we leave it there? Big show today. Big show. Big show today. Big news, but... Yeah. It's been, been pretty good. And again, good if you do need to reach out for any support, we do have 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732. And, of course, friends, family, anyone yeah. you trust. Also very good resources to have those in person with your support network. So make sure you've got a good, good strong support network. Exactly. Exactly. But big show. Yeah. Big big season three premiere. Big, exactly. Exactly. Welcome to season three. We are Woo. hitting hard we're this go- season. We're going hard. <laughs> How are we going to top this? Will we have Donald Trump Jr. on? Anything's possible. Anything's possible. We've got <laughs> dream big, Freddie. <laughs> we've got big plans. Yeah, so get excited. We do. You will not. You got. We have a whole word document of amazing, awesome plans that you will definitely see play out in the next few weeks and hopefully we'll have Naya back next week as yep. well. She's on holiday, lucky. And we've got some amazing interviews lined up for the season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so Freddy's, it's gonna be really good. He's got it. He knows. It's gonna be anyway, great. Anyway, um thanks for listening today. Yes. We hope you've had fun like we did and we hope you've learnt things like Absolutely, we did. Absolutely, yeah. Um we hope you will let us know what you thought of the show. I'm going to make a threads for hey. Represent when I get home tonight. Yeah. Um, so follow us at Sin Represent on Twitter. And if you're a Twitter objector on Instagram and on threads. At Sin Represent. At Sin Represent. Get you excited. You can hear any of our podcasts on Omni, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to stay, stay political. political. You're listening to Sin. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show. 